if you've got lungs, you can get lung cancer. So therefore, think about lung cancer in smokers and in non-smokers. Hi, this is GP's Talk Cancer, brought to you by Gateway C. I'm Dr. Rebecca Leon, and joining me through this podcast is Dr. Sarah Taylor. We are both practicing GPs and GP leads for Gateway C. We're both really passionate about diagnosing cancer early and we want to use this podcast as a way of sharing some of our clinical experiences with you so you can make a better, faster and more confident cancer diagnosis in primary care. So there's some official stuff to make you aware of. We know this podcast might be of interest to anybody, but it is really aimed at primary care health professionals. And although all patient cases are based on real stories from our clinical practices as GPs, they are fully anonymised with no identifiable patient data. Gateway C is funded by the NHS and is part of the Christie NHS Foundation Trust. Today, we are in the podcast studio at Media City, but this podcast is very much wanting to replicate um, a 10.30 coffee break that we have in primary care, which I certainly have. And Sarah, do you also have that time? Yeah, we do. We we, we all try to get together mid-morning just to have a quick catch-up, share any difficult patients, just review what's gone on through the morning. Don't always make it, obviously, but yeah, we, we do do the same thing. Fantastic. And we've also got Ellen joining us today, who is a junior doctor working um, with the team with us at Gateway C. Often at this 10.30 coffee, we have multiple members of um, the primary care team, whether it's junior junior staff, medical students or um, other allied health professionals. So they'll be joining us um, throughout the podcast. So Ellen, welcome. Hi, I'm excited. <laughs> okay, so, so coffee's on. Throughout the podcasts, we're going to be talking about different cancer types um, and often first presentation into primary care. So today we'll be talking about lung cancer. Before we talk about the patients and the cases. I wanted to throw in some statistics. All our statistics are from the Cancer Research UK website. And regarding lung cancer, this is actually the third most common cancer. The incidence is, over the last decade, has remained pretty stable. But interestingly, the rates in female patients are actually on the rise. And in male patients, they are starting to decrease. Why that's happening, we're not sure. But I think that's an interesting fact when you're thinking about the typical patient that you think may have lung cancer, the older man, the smoker, mainly from the more deprived areas. Actually, with more female patients being diagnosed with lung cancer, it's something to consider. Sarah, what experience have you got regarding this? And and have you seen any patients recently who have um, presented uh, with symptoms that have gone on to have lung cancer? Yeah, I was just thinking as, we, as I was driving here, when because I knew we were going to be talking about lung cancer, about a patient I saw recently who was a guy in his early 60s, um, retired businessman, ex-smoker, given up about 10 years ago, came in to see me with a worsening cough, shortness of breath. He hadn't actually had any hemoptysis, um, sent him for a chest x-ray and just got the results back yesterday and he has got a lung cancer. Right, and... So he ha- he was a an ex smoker. You're saying, um, did he have any other features that that were concerning you? 
I think it was just, the, it was the persistence of his symptoms. He'd been in two or three times. He'd had a couple of courses of antibiotics and he just wasn't getting any better. Uh, and, you know, as the uh, one of the lung cancer specialists that we work with quite closely, and um, Dr. Matt Everson says, you know, if you've got somebody who's got a cough for more than three weeks, unexplained, you should send them for a chest X-ray. So basically I did. I was a little bit surprised that he had a lung cancer, but not massively so. And then I started, as you do, flicking back through his notes. Um, and actually, when he had his health review recently, he had some blood tests ch- taken um, and his platelets were actually a little bit up as well, which we hadn't really clocked at the time. But they were raised. And I think at that time, actually, if we would thought about them in conjunction, we should have thought a little bit harder and realised that he might he was at quite a high risk of having a lung cancer. Yeah, because high platelets are actually now something that um, we have to take note of, particularly it might be an incidental finding on a, on a chronic health review. Um, Ellen, are you aware of this? Is this something that's, that kind of is being talked about in, in hospitals? And I certainly don't remember being kind of highlighted specifically that high platelets were a cancer risk. I remember thinking about it in the context of, say, sepsis or um, some kind of inflammatory process or um, when people are acutely unwell, but not in kind of someone who's just grumbling along, who's otherwise well, who's maybe got risk factors for cancer to start thinking cancer. Um, I hadn't heard about it in actually until the, the research paper that you, you shared, but it's, it's definitely very interesting. And yeah, maybe a lot of people are being missed, I think, from mm. that. The stats are actually quite significant. There's a one the one year cancer incidence for men is eleven percent if they've got high platelets, and for women oh, it's wow. six point two percent. So That's it is very high. It, it is, and it, you know if we're looking at the nice threshold of three percent, it is quite high, and the most significant cancers are lung and colorectal. It's actually got a, quite a nice um, mnemonic, which is Lego C. It's lung, endometrial, gastroesophageal, and colorectal. Um, so that so, but actually, because of the incidence of lung and colorectal being the highest, they're the ones that you most it's most important to exclude. So actually, a patient, particularly a man who's got high platelets and other risk factors, you probably should be thinking quite hard about looking at for a lung and a colorectal cancer. So in in this chap, if and then you go back and you say, oh, he did actually have high platelets a bit earlier, would you have at that point maybe? just done a chest x-ray just as a kind of screen or would you have taken him in asked if he had any symptoms or asked about smoking history or would it just been a we'll just do a chest x-ray maybe do a colonoscopy or whatever I think what you'd probably do I mean I think one of the things is that a new onset is more concerning rising levels are more concerning so you might just track back and see what had happened over the course of the last year or so if he'd had other tests and then I think probably bring him in check whether he's got any symptoms and at the very least then organise a chest x-ray and a fit test right fit, uh, yeah because then you've got a good idea and it then Probably, if they're both negative, um, I, I spoke to Willie Hamilton, who did a lot of the original research about this a couple of years ago, and he was saying, actually, you've got this risk of 11% for a man. If you actually have a negative chest X-ray and a negative fit, you bring the risk right down so you can reassure yourself fairly significantly that that's OK. Yeah. So just, I think, just um, going on from that, it'd be quite helpful to almost 
bring the patient back, again, track back to see if there has been a, um, a rise in the platelet level, but then take a history including, you know, a smoking history, but also including whether, is it cigarettes? Are they actually smoking cannabis? Are they smoking vapes or e-cigarettes, which a lot of people are doing these days? And also shisha also is important to ask. And also taking a good occupational history as well. And the thing that's often missed is passive smoking. So actually, yeah. they may um, have never smoked themselves, but they were brought up for the first 18 years of, of their life with parents that smoked very heavily. So these are all important things to do and almost then a full clinical picture about further investigations. I mean, th- this sounds like quite a... Um, I don't like to use the word barn door, but it was it was somebody that you saw. What do you think about almost like the GP nose, the GP gut instinct? What What are your thoughts about that, Sarah? Well, I mean, there's good research for it, isn't there? There's good research to back it up um, that actually, you know, GPs, that GP gut instinct and the GP feeling that there's something the matter is actually better than a lot of symptoms and actually for somebody like me it's very reassuring because actually the older you are um, the more gut instinct you have and that's probably just down to experience and having seen things and I think it's what we found you know we've done a lot of modules now haven't we Rebecca where we've spoken to lots of patients we've spoken we've got lots of patient stories and I think it's really it's being clear about what questions you're asking and specifically what a patient is saying because patients are quite particularly men are really keen to brush off their symptoms and be reassured by what you're saying so if it's, have you had a cough is it bad well it's not too bad mm. well you know is it actually stopping you doing anything um have you have you have you not got you know we speak to people who will actually when you push them will say well actually i did used to go out quite a lot and i used to go but i can't walk to the end of the road anymore or um one of the guys we were talking to um fred who's a patient in our lung cancer module had started sleeping downstairs because he couldn't make it up the stairs but he wasn't up for volunteering it because he was a little bit concerned about what was going on and he didn't you know he didn't so want to admit changed, it something had changed with him his baseline had changed so he now couldn't go up the stairs and we see it with people who used to you know run marathons or 10ks and then suddenly they're not able to do that um for them that's a change and that's almost we've got to find out and i think this very interesting article from the BJGP talking about a GP's gut feeling in diagnosing cancer in primary care actually said that the odds of a cancer diagnosis were four times higher when gut feelings were recorded. And as you said, as you as you get older, you see more patients, you're more experienced. We need to be using that more. It just reminds me of a um, of a patient I saw actually um, probably a couple of weeks ago. Very different. It was um, a female patient, a forty seven year old, who again had changed. She was going to Zumba twice a week and um, and uh, and also a regular cyclist, and her exercise tolerance was just reducing. And she came in with this persistent cough. A non smoker. She was a teacher, as I say, forty seven. Hardly. We had no medical notes other than the births of her children. She was not a frequent attender. But she'd been in all kind of through telephone consultations and been given um, a couple of courses of antibiotics and steroids. But her exercise tolerance was was reducing. She was also um, more tired and she'd lost a bit of weight non-intentionally. And it was my nose started twitching. You call it the GP gut instinct or you call it the GP nose. And um, I was concerned and actually sent her for a, a chest X-ray. And um, 
it unfortunately came back showing that she had a lung cancer. I mean, do we see this in in non-smokers? I think that's one of the most alarming stats I heard recently, really, was that the incidence of lung cancer in non-smokers is really, really significant. And it's, you know, it's... The stats are that 14% of patients with lung cancer in the UK have never smoked, which is a fairly significant percentage when you realise how common lung cancer is. And if if lung cancer in never smokers was considered a separate cancer from smoking lung cancer, and I think the sort of histology and the of it suggests that it quite possibly is, it would be the eighth most common cause of cancer-related death, higher than ovarian cancer, leukaemia and lymphoma, Gosh. which is really, really significant. And I think we have this tendency to assume that non-smokers don't get lung cancer. And I think that that is, is just wrong and we need to be thinking about it. We've sp- I've spoken to quite a lot of patients from some of the charities when we were doing updating the lung cancer module on Gateway C and they were all had very, very similar stories to your patient. They'd all just had symptoms that were lingering on, not getting better. A couple of them were really, really blaming themselves for not knowing that something was wrong but not pushing um, to get a diagnosis. And then obviously we have to throw in the fact that Although the chest X-ray is helpful, you know, up to 25% of lung cancers won't show up on a chest X-ray. So the chest X-ray is reassuring to an extent. But if the patient still has symptoms, we still have to think again. So 25% of chest X-rays will come back falsely negative. So if you're still twitching and you're still worried, and you're still thinking that this patient may potentially have lung cancer, we need to do further investigations. Yeah, we need to refer them on. If you have access to CT, refer them for a CT. But if you don't, which is what we don't locally, um, refer them on, and the lung teams will organise a CT for the patients. Okay, okay. So um, I think I also just wanted to make a point that non-attenders, we see patients in general practice who, who come regularly, Um, But it's the non-attenders, and particularly if they're coming multiple times with similar things. Um, I heard a phrase, three strikes and you're in. Mm. Um, So it's almost the opposite of what we normally do. So actually, um, we just need to take case by case seriously. But I think this this younger patient, this non-smoking patient, has definitely um, made me sit up and think, Mm. actually, we need to be considering all patients. I think that phrase from, it was Richard Roop who was the GP lead for the uh, for cancer for the RCGP for quite a long time. He said three strikes and you're in. And it really is, if you've got somebody who comes back with the same symptom three times and you haven't got a really clear reason for it, you need to think about referring them on to get a, a proper explanation. You know, my daughter's always used to say, mum, you're not a proper doctor. You always say, go to bed and you'll be better in the morning, which is sort of what I do say quite a lot of the time. But actually... You can't say that for three nights in a row if they, you know, mm. you have to think about things. So I think that that three strikes and you're in is a really useful. Uh, and the other thing, the other sort of phrase that um, one of the lung consultants uses is if you've got lungs, you can have lung cancer. So I sort of think if you think three strikes and you're in and if you've got lungs, you can get l- lung cancer, then you, everybody knows the questions to ask these patients. I think we just don't always ask them and make sure that we've got clear, honest answers from them. Okay, so just changing topic, do you both know what a cough actually is? 
I mean, we learned this at medical school, but do we know physiological what is a cough? I would have a, a kind of idea of what I think it is in my head. Go on, How Ellen. accurate that is. is a, in my head, it is a, a kind of reflex action, brainstem base, that's going to be triggered to try and expel any you know, potential pathogen, irritant, um, and to, to keep those lungs clear. Certainly, um, I did a brief stint at a CF unit um, and learned the kind of real value of actually being able to clear your lungs and how you kind of do it without thinking. And when you can't do it, it's really dangerous. And I think a cough would play into that in terms of just an immune mechanism for one thing. Gold star to Ellen. Yep, absolutely. So it's a reflex involving a noisy expulsion of air from the lungs. So it's responding to something irritating your airways. Um, it sends a message to your brain, the irritant, and then the brain tells the muscles in your chest and abdomen to push air out of your lungs to force out the irritant. So the irritant can be mucus, it could be tumour-based, so that's exactly when an ongoing cough needs to be investigated further. Another question to the panel. Some old wives' tales for cough suppressants. Well, in Scotland, it's whiskey is the answer to everything. Okay. So a hot toddy? Yes, yeah, a, a dram at night. A dram at night, OK. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'm going to, going to say chicken soup, or we, as we say, kind of Jewish penicillin we have on a Friday night. It's actually warm, salty fluid, which helps hydrate the patient and remove any mucus. So I think we've got the whiskey and we've got, and we've got the chicken soup. OK, something different. Anything else, Sarah, you're going to add to it? I always suggest to my patients that polos are as good as any other sweets. Not that not polos in particular, but any like a yeah sweet, yeah to... is just as good as any you know anything you might buy for more, more expensively. Okay, honey and, it, and lemon I think would be the absolutely. One so actually, they're saying that honey can be as effective at reducing the frequency and severity of a cough compared to an over-the-counter cough medicine. So actually, honey, lemon, maybe a bit of whiskey. <laughs> If you're not driving or operating heavy machinery, um, but all of those things, honey and lemon is very good. And the final thing is the good old fashioned towel over your head, steam inhalation. That's always very good at clearing passages. Okay, yeah. so these are just just good ways of of um, old wives' tales for cough remedies. So we talked about the first patient having high platelets. Sometimes you'll find the patients are anemic. Sometimes you'll find that patients have got abnormal LFTs raised inflammatory markers something like that but I think one of the things that we just need to stress again is that actually if none of those things are present that doesn't mean that they haven't got a lung cancer and I think we I think as clinicians we do quite like to be reassured by things okay. and I think we need to be careful about being reassured by yeah. investigations that are negative that maybe aren't quite giving us the yeah. answer we want. So you could maybe say that, you know, with that statistic of 11%, we're going to see another 80-odd, no, 79% of patients having normal platelet count, but there can be other things that can, you know, yeah, absolutely. So as a as a junior, I find some of this a bit um, frightening. It's very like they could have no smoking history, they could be young, uh, they could have normal blood tests, a normal chest x-ray, and a really good thing is to be an older GP and to have that kind mm. of inner... So I'm thinking, oh, how do you not end up just... How do you screen people effectively and, and make sure you're not over-investigating people or panicking too much and get some reassurance? And Or I guess my concern would be if you don't have that, um, experience and you 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 haven't seen enough people that you're 
inner kind of alarm bells are going off um are you more likely to make mistakes is it I guess it can just I think it's back to that thing that you're told right as you start at medical school that actually the majority of the information is in the history so I think that if you take a really careful history from the patient you will get a lot of information from them and it's that I think it's it's also there is often one of the beauties of doing general practice is that you get the opportunity to follow people up so actually you know if you see somebody you're not quite sure about then make sure you safety net them properly when you see them and say you've got a cough I would expect your cough to be better in two weeks time if your cough isn't better in two weeks time I want to see you and if you've got somebody who think is particularly vulnerable maybe make the appointment for them to come and see you in two weeks' time. So I think it's being really careful because you're not going to know it every time. Um, you probably will always have people that you can chat about and that's the beauty of the sort of 10.30 coffee, isn't it? You can talk to people and say, what do you think about this? Um, what would you do? I think that's really valuable. But I think it's really just being really clear, listening to what the patient says and then setting clear expectations at the end of your appointment about what you think should happen and what they should do if it doesn't, and I think that's a really, really important thing, is that sort of safety netting and saying, if you're not better, you know, to my daughters, if they're not, if you've gone to bed and you're not better in the morning, we'll have another think. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. And you've highlighted in the past kind of the difference and being really specific with the language, the difference between if it doesn't get any better versus it, it come back if it gets worse and yes. how patients can get confused around the language around that. I think that's really, really important, isn't it? You know, we, I think if it doesn't get better, is very, you know, patients will put up with something that is exactly the same if you've said it has to get worse for them to come back and I think that's really important I think it's really important that we make that we give really really clear instructions and possibly back it up with written information with texts um, you know the text is a, it's wonderful isn't it Rebecca this ability to text patients mm. so you could even text a patient a week down the line if you're a bit concerned about them and say are you better um, come and see me you know if you're not I wanted to see you again. Please come. I wanted to also just talk about continuity in general practice. Yeah. Um, because if you go back to um, both of the cases, you know, the, the, the second case that I discussed with our 47-year-old who, who unfortunately was diagnosed with lung cancer, I, I didn't know her. She was, she'd never presented before. The beauty and the privilege of general practice, I always think, is actually getting to know your patients, getting to know them when they're well and when they're unwell and almost seeing a difference when they walk in through the door. I personally go and get them from the waiting room and bring them upstairs to my my room and I can I start the consultation, see them as they climb the stairs. And if they're able to bound up the stairs six months ago, but now at the top they're really struggling I know that there's something different so continuity of care is the privilege that we have in general practice compared to hospital practice because they come they get patched up and they and they leave so again it's just almost regular reviewing doing I think that's a really good idea what Sarah said either almost texting them phoning them to see how they are particularly if you're concerned or actually booking a review appointment in um, so you know that they're going to attend. So these are all, all things that um, that we can do. You, you just wanted to mention about if the platelets were normal with mm. this particular, with that 60-year-old. I think it was just that whole point about if blood tests are normal, don't be reassured. OK, so for a first podcast, I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat today and yeah. I've, I've certainly learned things and shared things. 
But if there are a few things from both of you that are takeaways, that even if you've heard nothing else from the last 20 minutes, what would you say, Sarah? I would say if you've got lungs, you've got, you can get lung cancer. So therefore, think about lung cancer in smokers and in non-smokers. OK, thank you. And Ellen? Yeah, I think the the raised platelets um, being linked to cancer and and the Lego C acronym is definitely something that will stick in my mind. And um, yeah, the the lung cancer never smokers being the eighth most common cancer, definitely a surprising statistic. And I think maybe there's been a lot of public health messaging around smoking that's maybe overshadowed that a bit. So that will kind of correct that. And yeah, remember that. Great. Okay, Rebecca. So I'll finish off with a negative chest X-ray. 25% we're missing. So if you are still concerned that a patient may have cancer, um, we do further investigations. And putting together this podcast, I also just want to say, go deeper on your smoking history, Mm. taking, ask about other things. And passive smoking is also something you've got to ask about. Mm. And not just your your smoking history taking, as we said to Ellen all of your history taking all of your to get your context taking. for yeah. patients who absolutely absolutely it's been a pleasure and i look forward to the next one which will be out soon and thank you very much to both of you yeah thank you very much well thank you for listening today and i also want to thank our producers louise harbord from gateway c and joe newsome from rethink audio We have a free lung module, which is on the website, and all references to the studies and guidelines we've discussed will be in our show notes. Before we go, I wanted to just clear up and discuss the positive predictive value, which is something that we touch on in a few of the episodes. The positive predictive value was used to determine the threshold to encourage clinicians to refer on for a suspected cancer pathway or for urgent tests. And this was agreed at 3%. For more information, we have attached the link via the show notes, and this is through the NICE guidelines. And I would encourage all listeners to have a look at this and understand this in more detail. Please do press the follow button so you can get the podcast direct to your feed. And we'd love it if you share this podcast with your friends or colleagues. It really helps spread the word. Thanks and see you all again soon.